Okay, we're uh, learning here the story of Elisha and the woman from Shunem and the miracles that he performs uh, in Shunem. And we saw in the previous verses how Elisha's prophecy comes to fruition and the woman miraculously bears a child. But tragically, the child dies and she's determined to save her child at any, any cost. And she's not going to give up on this. And she goes straight to the man of God without even telling her husband why. And she is determined to have Elisha fix this. And she doesn't really accept the child dies. She doesn't have that word leave her lips in this whole episode. She just knows that Elisha's got to fix it. And, you know, the fact that the child passes away here, it's, it leaves an impression of Chilul Hashem, of a desecration of God's name. Because, after all, the man of God performs this miracle of miracles, the birth of a son, to a barren woman, and now the child dies. So that could shake one's faith in the prophet and in Hashem, and it could be problematic in, 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 for Amuna. So that's another factor here that's got to be rectified. So in any case, she's determined to fix this. And we saw in chapter 4, we were up to verse 26, that she's on her way to Elisha. She's on her way to the man of God. And she went 20 miles from Shunem to Har Carmel. And Elisha sees her from a distance. And he asks Gehezi to approach her and ask her, how's everything, to ask her what's going on. Is her husband okay? Is her child okay? And Elisha doesn't know. And the woman says to Gehezi, yeah, everything's fine. Shalom, she says. One word, she says, shalom, which means everything's fine. Now, that's not true. Everything is not fine. But she doesn't want to address Gehezi. She wants to go straight to the main man. She wants to go to Elisha. So she doesn't tell Gehezi anything. So we continue. She continues in verse 27. So she goes to the man of God. She, she ignores Gehezi. Never tells him a thing. She goes to the man of God. Elahar, to the mountain. And she holds on to his feet. Now, that's something uncharacteristic of her because she's super modest. And we saw last time how uh, when Elisha addressed her, um, he didn't even talk to her straight up. He would speak to her through Gehazi. And she would stand in the petach, in the opening of the doorway. But here, she's grabbing onto his feet because she's so, so upset, so desperate, so much needs... Um, Elisha to revive her child so she could remain a mother, you know. And it, what does it say? And Gehezi approached her to push her away. But the man of God uh, said, No, no, her pella, let her go, let her be. Because she's of bitter soul. She's very, very upset. It's not something that's coming out of lack of modesty. She's just really, really of bitter soul. And God has hid from me what the problem is. Hashem hasn't told me what it is. So we see Elisha is very, very human here. You know, he's fallible. And he is in the dark about it. You know, he's not all-knowing all, at all times. He doesn't know. And Hashem has withheld this from me, he says. So one thing that we want to mention here is the words of the uh, sages. They add something here. They sprinkle in something really important. It says that Gehezi pushed her away. Okay, he pushed her away. And that's um, appropriate because, after all, she's grabbing onto the man of God's feet and Gehezi thinks it's not proper and dignified, so he's trying to push her away. You can understand that, but the word used to push her away in Hebrew, lahadfa, is composed of hod and yafa, hodpo. So they say that he, he, when he pushed her, he touched a part of the womanly 
woman, a woman's anatomy that he shouldn't have touched, something inappropriate, and it wasn't right. So why do they bring that down? Why do I bring it? Because we know that eventually Gehezi is really going to go off the path. In the next chapter, he really goes off the path, you know, inexplicitly in the verses we see that. And already here, Chazal want to tell us, well, already here he's not 100%. You know, when somebody goes off, off the derech, they go off the path of Judaism, off the path of God, it doesn't happen in one shot. It's, gonna, it's gradual. So with Gehezi too, he's already um, not 100%. He has touched this woman inappropriately. That's the words of the sages. Again, it's not in the pshat. But it's important to see the tip of the iceberg of what's going to happen to Gehezi later on. Okay, so let's look at verse 28. Vetomer. So now she finally reaches the man of God and she can speak to him. And she says the following. ben Did I ask a son from you, from my Lord? I didn't ask you for it. The opposite. I said, please don't mislead me. Don't disillusion me. That's what I said. I didn't want to have one because I was worried about being... Heartbroken later on, and that's exactly what happened. So that's what she says to Elisha. The Chazal tell us that she said, That I'd rather have an empty vessel than a vessel that had been filled up and was spilled out. That's, that's much worse and much more of a heartbreak to have an empty vessel that everything's been spilled out of it. I'd rather have no vessel or an empty one and not have this heartbreak. So why did you mislead me? Why did you disillusion me? So Alicia immediately spring, springs into action. So he said to Gehazi, So he says, Gird my loins and take my staff in your hand and go. And when you, and when you go, if you meet anybody, don't greet him. And if anybody greets you, don't answer anybody. You just go. I don't want any distractions. You've got to go straight to this woman's house, to the lad, and take my staff and fix it. But don't be distracted on your way. So, it's interesting that um, Alicia is asking Gehezi to do this. Alicia doesn't go on his own here. At least at the beginning he doesn't go until the woman's going to force him to. But he's... He's uh, willing to have Gehezi perform the miracle with his staff. We saw the staff uh, perform miracles before when he hit with his mashenet, with his staff on the Jordan, and the Jordan uh, split. So he's going to have Gehezi, his servant, take the staff and go and um, cure, revive the child. But there's a condition. While you're on your way, don't have anybody um, talk to you. Don't talk to anybody. It'll just distract you from the mission. And then he continues and says, And put my staff on the lad's face. So that's the um, mission he gives to Gehezi. And Rashi brings down here from the Midrash that Gehezi did not fulfill the task. That is, he didn't fulfill the conditions. While he was on his way, he kind of bragged about it to people. They said, hey, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to um, revive the dead. And they would say, well, only God could revive the dead. You know, No, no, I'm going to do it. My Rebbe told me to do it. So he was bragging about it. He was engaging in conversation about it. He did not follow the instructions of Elisha. And the fact is he was not a shalich ne'eman. He was not a loyal uh, person to carry out this mission. And uh, we see Gehazi is really not 100% pious, you know, all along. 
And this is another example of it, and that's why he's not going to be able to pull off the miracle. Now you could ask, like, why is Elisha sending Gehesiah to do it in the first place? Well, it's not unusual. We saw um, in the next chapter, we're going to see that um, Elisha is going to send out his, his lad, his servant, to, to uh, cure uh, uh, Naaman. We're going to have a story of Naaman with the, with the leprosy. And Elisha sends out his lad. He sends out his uh, servant to, to do it. And he sends a servant to anoint Yehu ben Nimshi later on, to anoint the next king of Israel. So it's not unusual where the, the righteous, uh, the prophet, would send out their um, faithful student to do it because their students are just like them. They're also pious. They're also awesome. But they have to be Nehemiah. They have to be Hitpatlu to the Rav. They have to have self annihilation in it. They have to be total subservient to their Rav. And Gehezi just isn't that. We see that all along here. He's not a Shalich Nehemiah. So it says in verse Lamid 30, Vetomer Emenar. So the woman says to Elisha, Chai Hashem v'chai nefshachai imazveka as the Lord lives and by your life, I'm not going to leave you. So she says, I don't want to go with Gehezi. I want to go with you. So he goes after them. So the, the woman here is forcing Elisha to be directly involved in this task. She doesn't want Gehezi doing it. She doesn't want a middleman. She wants to go straight to the to prophet. He'll carry it out. And she's almost forcing him to do it because he follows her. So, they're all going now to the house of the Shunammite woman, to the attic, where the boy's laying there, passed away. And Gehezi leads the way. So it says in verse 31, Gehezi of he's leading the way. And he puts the staff on the lad's face. But there is no sound. There is no um, reaction. So the child does not awaken. The child remains dead. It doesn't work. And we explain why Gehezi is just not capable of being able to do this. And so what happens? Gehezi leaves the room. The kid didn't wake up. Gehezi says. Tov, now it's Elisha's turn. Verse Lamed Bet. So now Elisha comes in to the house. And behold, the lad was dead, laid out on the bed. So the mother doesn't admit it, but this, the, 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 the scripture here tells us that he's dead. Now the Malbim has an opinion that Elisha thought that the child was just passed out. He thought that he had fainted. And that's why he sent Gehezi with the staff. If he knew the child was, was dead, he would have done a, uh, what he's doing now. He would have went in on his own here. So let's look here in verse Lamed Gimel 33. So what does Elisha do? He comes in, closes the door behind both of them, and he prays to the Lord. And that again, similar to the miracle with the oil, that you close the door, you don't have the neighbors see the miracle, blessings are um, much more uh, likely to come if they're not in the spotlight. So close the door. We see that over and over again. So nobody else can see this. And what does he do now? Let's see what he does. Now we'll see. It's almost what Elijah did, almost... Uh, action by action here is what Elijah did back in chapter 17 in Kings 1 when Elijah revived the dead child. He went up and he laid on the child. And he put his mouth on his mouth. His eyes on his eyes. His hands on his hands. 
and he prostrated himself or he stretched himself over the child and the child's flesh became warm okay we're going to go back to the Radak here and what Elisha did and how this works this miracle but let's continue verse 35 so what does he do he returned and he walked in the house once here, once here. He's pacing back and forth, back and forth. And then he went back and prostrated himself over. Oh, 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 again. And then the child sneezed. He sneezed seven times. And he woke up. He opened his eyes. You know, a sneeze kind of releases your um, nostrils and your um, cavities. You know, that's what sneezing can do. He kind of forces it to be released and somehow sneeze seven times the child opened his eyes and now let's look at the Radak here what very fascinating Perush explaining how Elisha revives the dead child I mean we saw it in the verses but he has important commentary here and I'll read it in Hebrew and translate because it's really uh, vital that he, he laid on the child because when he prayed for him, right, the verses say he prayed for the child. And when he prayed for him, he laid on top of him and stretched himself upon him because that increased his kavana. His, his uh, heartfelt prayer was much more with meaning by lying upon him because if the person's in the room with you and you're in contact with him, obviously the subject of your prayer becomes much more concrete and your kavana is increased. And he gives an example. Why, with um, Yitzchak and Rivka, when they prayed for a child, they did that where Yitzchak was looking at Rivka, one across from the other. So when Yitzchak prayed for his wife to have a child, he saw her and he was able to have better kavana because he says, oh Hashem, give this righteous woman a child. She deserves it. It helped his kavana and that's why he's on top of the child while he prays upon him. And the Radak continues, and by using natural warmth, and mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, that's because miracles are done as much as possible through natural means, and we minimize the miracle, and we always have, in a natural way, contribute to the miracle, to the performance of the miracle, and that's the rules of miracles. You try to do as much as possible through nature. So, yeah, he revived the dead child, which is an amazing miracle, but if you're watching it, you'd say, hey, Maybe give mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, you know? Maybe that's how it happened. But that's because you're giving Hashem a vehicle for your miracle. And you're making your hishtadlut, your effort, as, 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 as uh, maximal as it can be because that's when you are worthy of a miracle, when you try your very, very best. So that's how the Radak explains the miracle. He almost has the same commentary in Elijah's revival of the child, almost word for word. And that's, we see all along here the rules of miracles in this chapter. Uh, that again, the man has to make the effort and then Hashem will do his part too. So let's see now what happens. The child sneezes. The child awakens. And now it says in verse 36, So now, Elisha calls the Gehezi and he says, Call that Shunamite lady. And he called her. And she came to him. And he said, Take your child. Pick him up. Take your child. And what does it say in verse 37? As we, this is the last verse of the 
episode. And she came, fell at his feet. And she bowed to the ground. And she picked up her son. And she departed. So notice, no words. No words of thanks. No words of acknowledgement. But you know what? Sometimes there's something stronger than words. And that's just the gratitude. It was so tremendous, so awesome. She couldn't express it in words. And in this, the uh, King David, in verse in Psalms 39, he says, David says in Psalms 39, I became mute with stillness. I was silent from good. That is, it's so good. It's been so awesome what happened. I'm so overwhelmed that, as they say in Hebrew, no words can describe it. So sometimes silence, and that's what she has here. She doesn't say a thing. Because word, any words that she would say just wouldn't be appropriate for what happened. So she just ends like that with dumiyah, stillness and silence. We understand. She, she appreciates it. Alicia understands it. It's not necessary. And that's how we end the story of the woman from Shunem.